Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Do I dare say, here I come to save the day? Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Uh, we're going to start a little early today. Uh, we have, well, there is a reason for doing this, among other things. Um, we have tons of people flooding into our city tomorrow. The furries are coming, people. And I'm not talking Auburn. The furries are Auburn's coming too, but the furries are. We got a ton of stuff going on, but I I, I gotta start. Um, it, it, I don't need to to play you the trailer, but it, let's get in the way back machine for a moment. And I I'm gonna do something here because I I've got time because we don't have to jump out for traffic. I've got time to tie about five billion completely different stories together. For just for you guys, wouldn't do this for anyone else, and th- they all seem completely unrelated, and yet they are directly related, and they're not just directly related, they're related to you, and, and just bear with me here. Um, so the trailer has come out for the Gary Hart movie. It's going to start Hugh Jackman. Now, if you're my age, I was in a seventh grade when Gary Hart was a thing. Uh, So in 1987, I actually go back to 84 when I was in fourth grade, um, Gary Hart was a Democratic senator. He ran against Walter Mondale in 84 and lost. Uh, And then in 1988, Gary Hart was the man to beat. Gary Hart was going to be the Democratic nominee. I mean, he was the press. Listen, one of the things that you can see, whether it's Beto O'Rourke or Wendy Davis or um, even Stacey Abrams or or the, the socialist girl from New York or Cynthia Nixon or or Gary Hart, the media always and without fail, every campaign cycle falls in love with a Democrat, always and without fail falls in love for a Democrat. And it is always a Democrat. The national press corps never falls in love with a Republican is always a Democrat. And in 1988's campaign, it was Gary Hart. They were in love with Gary Hart. I mean, the news covers, they actually in this trailer have news clips from the day. Uh, Gary Hart, he's the one to beat. He's the front runner. He, he's the guy. Gary Hart, Gary Hart, he's going to be the next president. No, 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 no. I mean, it was a virtual endorsement for him uh, as opposed to George H.W. Bush, who was the vice president of Ronald Reagan. 
Well, Gary Hart blew up his campaign uh, by having an affair with a woman named Donna Rice, who was a campaign staffer. Uh, They lied about it, but more stories came out. It it became not only very unflattering, but uh, made Gary Hart look very dishonest, and his campaign imploded. Um, People forget that he ran off to Ireland with his son to recover and then came back and decided he was still going to run for president. Uh, and, and so he did come back and, and ran, and Michael Dukakis beat him pretty thoroughly. He dropped out of the race. But the media loved the guy. They built his campaign. The media loved Gary Hart, just like right now they love Beto O'Rourke in Texas. I mean, the media loves Beto O'Rourke. Uh, and they are putting out a bunch of—I mean, the, the Edison poll the other day has it a one-point race between Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke, and all it's done is provided Ted Cruz a fundraising opportunity. The poll is trash. I mean, it's an online poll. It's an online poll with a survey M word. Uh, well, you know, let me stop because this is the other story I want to talk about. Um, Ron DeSantis in Florida said that you don't want to monkey it up um, by, by going socialist in Florida. He didn't say monkey it up by voting for a black guy. No, that's what the media says. He said it's not. He said you don't want to monkey it up by going in a socialist direction after our economy's been doing so well in Florida. And the media racism, racism. Well, they, they, they love Beto in Texas, but they hate Ron DeSantis in Florida. They hate him. And he Trump supported him, so he must be a racist. So I, I'm, I'm wondering, people are so upset about him using the word monkey. Um, can I talk about Survey Monkey being one of the data pools for Edison College, or do I need to say the, the Survey M word? Um, Survey M word provided the data pool for the the it was Emerson not Edison Emerson College it has Ted Cruz in a one point lead it's an online poll by the survey M word people um and man it's going to be really awkward if survey monkey does a poll in Florida uh how are they going to be able to talk about that I don't know um but you know I, I'm again I'm stringing all of these stories together so there's another story you know Ron DeSantis this is a perfect tie in Ron DeSantis yesterday on Fox News got in trouble for saying Florida voters shouldn't want to monkey it up by going in a socialist direction. His opponent, Andrew Gillum, the mayor of Tallahassee, is a radical leftist. Much like Atlanta under Kasim Reed, Tallahassee under Andrew Gillum is under an FBI investigation. So now I want to play you some audio from Andrew Gillum, and I want to ask you, what would have happened if Ron DeSantis had said this? I think if uh, uh, for Florida to move in that direction, we would have to do it as a confederation of states. Mm. Uh, we could not do it by ourselves uh, solely here in the state of Florida because it would collapse the system. We would only attract the sickest of patients, and it wouldn't work. But could you imagine if we could uh, team up with the states of New York, California, uh, Florida, maybe even Texas even. I, so he, he wants to do Medicaid, Medicare for all, wants a national expansion of health care. He says he can't do it all. So what does he want to do? I'm going to play it at the very beginning. you got to catch this. got to catch this. I think if uh, uh, for Florida to move in that direction, we would have to do it as a confederation of states. What? A, a confederation of states? A confederacy? Y'all, a candidate for governor in the former Confederate state of Florida is calling for a confederation of states. Can you imagine if Ron DeSantis had said that? 
I mean, the media is now on day two of attacking him for saying monkey it up on TV because his opponent is black. Can you imagine if he said this? And I can hear you all right now. Mr. Erickson, his opponent is black, so it's okay for him to say confederation. Well, isn't that the point, though? The media has labeled us all by you are white or you are black or you are male or you are female and therefore certain things you must believe certain things you must vote in certain ways you know so there there's a there's a story in the New York Times today um, it's an opinion piece but they have treated it in their social media as a news story today and it is about the 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 religion of whiteness. Can you imagine if you or I wrote something about the religion of blackness? There's another story in the Washington Post today about how Donald Trump is going to use race as a weapon. And then, of course, there's the attacks on my friend Selena Zito. It is very clearly a coordinated attack on Selena Zito. Uh, She is the reporter who coined the phrase... Trump's voters take him seriously, not literally, and the press takes him literally, not seriously. And what she meant by that was that uh, Trump's voters are discerning enough to be able to understand he has a point that he's making through the use of hyperbole. So they don't take him literally with his hyperbole, but they do take seriously his point. The media, meanwhile, takes very literally his point. When the, the president calls the press the enemy of the people, His voters don't take the president literally. They take him seriously. The the media is aligned against them. The press, on the other hand, thinks, oh, my goodness, he really thinks we're the the enemy, and he wants to round us up and shut us up and lock us up. Now, I have just gone off on a whole bunch of different stories that are completely unrelated, except they're all related. They are all related to the Catholic Church story. The Catholic Church abuse scandal that is continuing to grow, there's a Reuters headline today that says conservative media enters the fight against the Pope. A prominent liberal Catholic academic today says that the revelation that the Pope helped cover up for and provide benefits to a child molester in the Catholic Church, that it's the alt-right that's doing this. Y'all, all of these stories are about how much the American media dislikes you. The people who are listening right now in the metro Atlanta area who tend to be right of center, who you got a college education or you don't, it doesn't matter. You go to church, you believe in God, you're socially more conservative than you are liberal, you're fiscally conservative, you think the tax cuts are good, the media hates you. They're not your enemy, but they sure treat you like you're the enemy. They hate you. And they can't deal with facts anymore because the media has decided now that there's a right and a wrong, and inevitably the right is always liberal and the wrong is always conservative. And this goes very all the way back to Gary Hart, and even before Gary Hart, the media always, always and without fail has winners and losers, heroes and monsters, and rights and wrongs. And the heroes and the winners and the rights are always on the left, and the villains and the monsters and the wrongs are always on the right. They have lost the ability 
to cover a scandal within the Catholic Church involving child abuse because they've decided that it's conservatives who are pushing the story. So you keep abusing the kids. We just can't advance the conservative agenda. So we've got to we got to attack the conservatives. They have decided that this guy down in Florida is their next hero, a a black mayor from Tallahassee whose city is under investigation by the FBI. He's the hero. Ron DeSantis is the villain. Therefore, he must be made to be a racist. And they will turn a blind eye when one of them calls for a confederacy and the other says, don't monkey it up. In Texas, they're willing to pay attention to a garbage poll of an online group that shows the racist close because they hate Ted Cruz. They hate you. They don't have anything in common with you. They don't relate to you. They don't want to relate to you. They don't want to understand you. And they are more and more catering to their liberal audience. Is it any wonder the president of the United States, and this is where I'm going, is it any wonder the president of the United States of America could today spend hours assailing the American media? And while he made some goofy points like claiming that his, MS, that his NBC interview with Lester Holt was doctored, He made some valid points as well about how the American media really is out to get him and really is out to get his voters and really does hate you. And all of that is absolutely true. And you see it in all of these stories I have recounted for you today. The underlying theme is that the American press corps doesn't want to know you, doesn't care about you, and really does think you are a blight on humanity. And everything they're doing these days in their political press coverage has to do with that frame. And now it's even polluting such tragic stories as the abuse scandal in the Catholic Church, because it's a bunch of evangelical Catholic traditionalists who are really worried about this. Therefore, it must be the alt-right coming to get their liberal pope. I guess I should give you guys the phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Listen, I have spent way too much time this week, I think, talking about media biases against you guys. Um, But I think it's really relevant because the media is distinctively now developing this idea that they need to move beyond um, horse race style reporting of politics and instead really need to focus on uh, the rights and wrongs. Ben Smith, uh, who is the liberal in charge of BuzzFeed News, who famously said that there were no two opinions on on the issue of gay marriage. Uh, There was only one valid one. Um, Ben Smith uh, has written a piece and says, I helped create insider political journalism. Now it's time for it to go away. And and basically that that for so long, political reporters in Washington treated it all as a game. And they need to get rid of the game and the importance of of staffers moving and polling and how much money is raised. And and they need to get into more substantive coverage. Let me just read you the end. Um, 
A Brazilian editor once told me that you could tell his country was in political crisis because everyone was talking about politics all the time. In a normal country, nobody cares about politics. And I think that most of all, the political journalism of that crisis is no longer a special genre of of journalism, but instead the core of the profession, getting to the truth, explaining the world, and often telling stories with a clear right and wrong. And yet, perhaps there's reason to be nostalgic for the amoral tactical coverage of American politics. You know... Part of me reads this and thinks, wow, these guys really value themselves very highly. And part of that is what's going on in the American political press now, is they have a much higher opinion of themselves than they should. But another is they are in a liberal bubble. They don't care to get out of their liberal bubble. And in their liberal bubble, they see a world where liberal is good and conservative is bad, where government is inherently good and small government inherently bad, Republicans in charge of government bad, liberals good. And it's more rally the flag coverage than it is objective coverage of who, what, where, when, why, and how. And I think everyone can agree we probably should be doing the who, what, where, when, why, and how, the the actual elementary journalism 101 of storytelling. But journalists have now decided that they're there to save the world or some such. It's not just helping inform us so we can make up our mind. It is distinctively protagonist and antagonist, and you are inevitably going to be the antagonist. So the president today on Twitter lashed out at the media Lashed out at Jeff Zucker at CNN, demanding he be fired. Uh, lashed out at, at NBC and Andy Lack, who apparently is on his way out. Um, and although he said things that were clearly not true, like the live interview with Lester Holt being edited, um, he also made some points that the press is out to get Americans. And I think the press is largely playing into the president's hand on this stuff and largely exposing themselves to be biased against you. And there's another guy biased against you, Al Gore, who came out today and said the president needs to resign. I've got the audio. After the hour, I am Eric Erickson. I hope you're doing well. Uh, the phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I, I got to do something on the fly here because you and I both know that we need to listen to this. If I can find it and do it, it is it, it is that important to our well-being as a people for me to be able to pull this off. Um, if I can, um, the question is, can I find the show? Yes, I think I can find the show. I have it here. If I can find the right episode. Yes. Now, what are you, what am I doing? Well, I just, I needed to pull up the man bear pig audio because Al Gore is back in the news, folks. He actually is. Al Gore has come out. And he has decided that the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, needs to resign. Now, why does he need to resign? Well, according to Al Gore, he needs to resign because of climate change. Yes, climate change. So if he's watching this, 
What's your message to President Trump when it comes to climate? Oh, my only message would be resign. I mean, I don't mean to be flipping about it. I don't think he is prepared to listen to advice uh, about the importance of clean air and clean water. <laughs> he actually said that, my people. He actually said that. He actually said that the president needs to resign because he's not willing to listen to people about clean air and clean water. This, this, y'all, you know what this does? Seriously. Um, what this does is it gives people license to take the Democrats not seriously. Um, it gives the Democrats license, or it gives regular voters license to say, these people are nuts. I mean, they are. They genuinely are when Al Gore thinks the elected, lawfully elected president of the United States, something he could not be and could not do, that this guy needs to resign his office because of climate change. Because of climate change. Does that make any sense at all to anyone that the president would resign because of climate change? Who? Thank you, Mr. Mackey, students of South Park Elementary. I'm here to educate you about the single biggest threat to our planet. You see, there is something out there which threatens our very existence and may be the end to the human race as we know it. I'm talking, of course, about Man Bear Pig. Man Bear Pig? It is a creature which roams the Earth alone. It is half man, half bear, and half pig. Some people say that man bear pig isn't real. Well, I'm here to tell you now, man bear pig is very real, and he most certainly exists. I'm serial. Man bear pig doesn't care who you are or what you've done. Man bear pig simply wants to get you. Yes, man bear pig. Al Gore. That guy, man bear pig, he thinks that Donald Trump, pig man bear, needs to resign because of global warming. Now, all this does, the fact that the media will give Al Gore airtime to say this and that they will nod along super serial with him is just another example of how they, they really hold you in contempt. They really do. And they've gone beyond traditional fact finding for salacious nonsense like this. Al Gore is trying to be relevant again. And in so doing, he's using the media to attack a president. And you know what the, the outcome of this is going to be? Donald Trump's going to get reelected. In 2020, Donald Trump is going to get reelected president of the United States. And the reason he's going to get reelected president of the United States is because this stuff is not serious. We live in unserious times when a former vice president of the United States can go on national television and say that Donald Trump's not going to listen to anyone about climate change, so he needs to resign. Climate change. And it's larger than that, of course, that Al Gore just thinks Donald Trump's a terrible person. Al Gore disagrees with Donald Trump professionally. He disagrees with him personally. He doesn't like him. So we're trotting out a former vice president to say that the current president, who actually won, unlike Al Gore, needs to resign. 
needs to go away. And all that's going to do is rally people to Donald Trump. All the media is doing is rallying people to Donald Trump. Let's go back to Ron DeSantis in Florida. The, the race card being played in Florida by Ron DeSantis. By the way, I, a friend of mine has has emailed me and said there's actually a clip of Barack Obama on uh, YouTube you can find of him saying not to monkey things up. But Ron DeSantis is presumed immediately to be a racist because Donald Trump supported him. Uh, it, it's the same. They would love to go after Brian Kemp here in Georgia as a racist. And I'm sure they will ultimately. You know, Stacey Abrams, we'll get into this. I got a story in my stack of stuff today. Stacey Abrams has doubled down on we need to basically uh, shave off the carving on the side of Stone Mountain. And Brian Kemp will be asked about this, and he will be portrayed a racist. You are being portrayed a racist. There is an ongoing sustained attack against my friend Selena Zito. I mentioned in the beginning of this hour because she wrote a book about Trump voters. And it's a sympathetic portrayal of Trump voters and more and more members of the media. You you hear people talk about J.D. Vance, who wrote Hillbilly Eulogy or Elegy or whatever. Um, And it's a portrayal of blue collar workers in America who are mired in the opioid addiction crisis, who have broken homes, who are jobless, who are seeing government regulations shutting down long-term businesses, who are feeling left behind by free trade, who do not feel like they can get ahead, who are seeing suicide increase, who are seeing churches collapse in scandal, who are seeing neighborhoods collapse in scandal, who are seeing local communities go bankrupt, and they are reacting to this, a Washington, D.C., a national press corps that they feel ignored by, treated with contempt from, and left behind. And so they they voted for Donald Trump as a big wake-up call, as a big red flag saying, hey, you're not paying attention to us. And what do they get out of this? Well, it's just a bunch of racists who voted for Donald Trump. Or this is all white power or white nationalism. So there's this story today about the, the white religion, the relig- religion of whiteness. You know, there's a, a, a deeply disturbing data point for people in the demographics I was talking to a friend about earlier today. It is that the more a Hispanic and Asian family invests in this country and stabilizes in this country as new immigrants, they more and more tell census workers and demographers they're white. Think about that for a minute. The longer an immigrant family is in this country, the more likely they are to identify as white. Meanwhile, the narrative from demographers is that demography is destiny and uh, white people are on decline and they're going to be a minority, except there are a lot of people who aren't white who identify as white because the, it's the media obsessed with whiteness. No one – and I, I don't know anyone who is obsessed with whiteness. Like, you know, for, for God's sakes, the Ron DeSantis monkeying up stuff, it's a dog whistle. Do you know, do you in your daily life, in your community, you're stuck on 400 right now. Do you know anyone who talks in dog whistles? Do you know anybody who, who talks in encoded messages for white people to, to, to understand or for black people to understand? Who does that in the real world? Who does that? And yet the media is obsessed with it. They are obsessed with thinking the worst about you. And all of these things are helping Donald Trump. This is what the media doesn't seem to understand. Their combativeness against him, their hatred of him, their hostility to him, their coverage of Trump voters. I mean, the the coverage of Trump voters that they're somehow bigoted, racist, homophobe, narrow-minded rubes. It does nothing but keep them with the president. Understandably so, I might add. 
I've got a lot of friends of mine, uh, particularly in the evangelical community, who are really deeply frustrated with uh, evangelicals, particularly in the South, standing with Donald Trump when he's such an affront to their faith. And I tell them all the time, look, I, I'm, I'm not a huge Trump fan. But have you encountered these people? It's not like they're condoning him cheating on his wife. There, now, there are some who they get a lot of attention, but by and large, they, they don't like that the president's cheating on his wife. But you know what they really hate? They really hate being called a racist when they're not. They really hate the idea that they have to conform their values to San Francisco. They really hate the idea that they're presumed to be bad people because they're Christian, white, and conservative. And yet, that's what the media thinks. You know, I've mentioned this before. A buddy of mine on social media has a large following. Members of the media pay attention to him. He does a lot of uh, polling work and whatnot. So he's got a, he's got a big traction, a, a, a base of followers on Twitter, uh, many of whom are in the national press. They follow him. And he just asked after the election, how many members of the media know someone who drives a pickup truck? Now, it should be relevant because the top three pickup trucks in this country are the Ford F-150, the Chevy Silverado, and the Dodge Ram. Number four is the, the GMC Sierra. So the top four vehicles in the United States of America are pickup trucks. And do you know that several members of the press not only said they didn't know anyone who drove a truck, but they were offended by the question, by the suggestion that they might be in some sort of bubble. And it actually became a really big deal on social media with, with angry members of the press attacking this guy and his credibility for daring to suggest that they were out to lunch, but none of them knew anyone who drove a pickup truck. Every single one of my neighbors has a pickup truck. I'm the only guy right now who doesn't have a pickup truck among my neighbors. And members of the press don't know anyone who drives pickup trucks. And yet they think you're in some sort of race bubble they're the ones in the bubble. And they trot out Al Gore. You know, just one more time. It's worth playing this one more time just so you can hear the absurdity of it and laugh at him. So if he's watching this, what's your message to President Trump when it comes to climate? Oh, my only message would be resign. I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it. I don't think he is prepared to listen to advice uh, about the importance of clean air and clean water. And there you go. You see, it's not just he's saying, I don't think he's prepared to listen. They, they also mean you. You're not prepared to listen. If only you would listen to your social betters who have decided that the abuse in the Catholic Church can continue because to stop it would mean to possibly cause homophobia. I mean, that, that, that's essentially the media line now, that your social betters, and they do think they're your social betters, have decided that you people are a blight and need to be stopped. And all that's going to do is rally even more people to the president when 2020 arrives. We still got a lot to cover today, including Stacey Abrams wanting to tear down Stone Mountain. She's she's doubled down on this now. At least, you know, I, I say all the time, give her credit for her honesty. Uh, she does. Also, we don't have In-N-Out Burger here, which is just as well because it's a profoundly overrated burger institution. Um, I vastly prefer Whataburger. Uh, even Five Guys. I'm just I I I don't understand why you, you put a palm tree on your logo and a little sunset and call yourself California. Oh, 
In-N-Out Burger is the greatest thing. No, it's real. I, I go to In-N-Out Burger. It gives me diarrhea. I just I have no no use for In-N-Out Burger. Give me what a burger any day of the week. Uh, great Texas institution, and they're spreading this way. By the way, there's a what a burger in Jacksonville on the way to Amelia Island. There's a what a burger in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There's a what a burger in Birmingham, Alabama. Now we are eventually going to get what a burger here. It is a vastly better. Yes, it is vastly better than In-N-Out Burger. But nonetheless, In-N-Out Burger, its owners are a Christian family. Woven into their logo, there there are scripture references. They have given money to Republicans in California. And literally a reporter for a news outlet has exposed it as if it is a big expose, he's pinned it to his Twitter bio for people to see that beloved In-N-Out Burger is a Republican. Now, everybody knew they were Christian and conservative, but now suddenly, in the age of Trump, this is bad. And the press is attacking. It's not just individuals. It is the press attacking uh, In-N-Out. It is left-wing activists, progressive activists are attacking In-N-Out. They have decided that the business must go now. Their beloved In-N-Out has to be shut down because in the age of Donald Trump, they gave some money to Republicans. This, by the way, is why more and more I am totally opposed to disclosures and campaign finance. I mean, I, I really, at this point, I am at the point saying no one should know who your donors are. Because inevitably, the left-wing mob comes for the donors. Uh, the, they can't just disagree politically anymore. they got to shut them down and punish them. And so In-N-Out Burger has been targeted. But they're still not as good as Whataburger. And that's just the reality of it. Now, when we come back, though, oh, we got to get into more stuff, including what to do about Stone Mountain. It's 8 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Y'all, we need to talk about Stone Mountain. And I, I need to preface this uh, this way. I do not believe that Stacey Abrams is a bad person. Uh, I interviewed her, and I will tell you it was one of the best interviews I have ever done. Uh, she was extremely self-deprecating. I like that when a politician can poke fun at, at herself. Uh, she had very substantive answers, and I genuinely believe that she fundamentally cares about the direction of the state, and she believes her policies will make the state better. I just disagree with her. Um, and I, I, I preface it this way because I'm mindful this week with, with John McCain's burial that we've really reached a day and age in American politics where people presume that if you disagree with the a person on the other side, they must be bad, they must be evil, um, that they, they must be uh, unpatriotic. I mean, I had somebody today, I wrote a piece on John McCain's burial and that whether you agreed with him or not on politics, you should recognize he was a hero. And this guy, no, he was a traitor. He squealed as a POW. He blew up that aircraft carrier. He's a traitor. And he hated his country. No, he didn't. And I, I and I know we got people in this audience. We had a guy called the other day who was convinced that John John McCain tried to blow up that aircraft or did blow up that aircraft carrier, and and that he was a, a a guy who who sold out his country and whatnot. Which isn't none of it's true. None of it is true. 
And so I, I feel compelled now when I talk about uh, these sorts of situations to preface them by saying I don't believe this person hates the country or is a bad person or is evil. I just disagree with their politics. I think their politics will actually lead to bad things happening. Even though they may be a good person, I think they're misguided. And I feel that way with Stacey Abrams. She She's a very nice person who genuinely believes and cares uh, for the state of Georgia, but I think her policies that she wants to implement would ruin the state economically. I think it would ruin schools. I think it would hurt poor kids. Um, I think she's misguided. But I understand her heart is in the right place. For example, she has doubled down now. This, this Let me add this to it before I go there. I commend her on being honest with her positions because there are a lot of politicians in this nation who want to run for office and not tell you what they really believe in. And Stacey Abrams is committed to the fact that win or lose, she's going to tell you exactly what she thinks, what she wants to get done. So if she does win, there are going to be no surprises. She will be a radically progressive leftist for the state of Georgia. We'll be bad for business. Our taxes will go up. Our guns will get taken away. At least least she's honest. She has doubled down now with the, the uh, Columbus, Georgia newspaper that she does think we need to have a conversation about Stone Mountain and she does want to see the monument on its side gone. Um, Brian Kemp seems to be of the position, and, and I think the media is still pushing him on this, he seems to be of the position that we need to leave Stone Mountain alone but perhaps we also need to add something to recognize uh, the other side of the story there. Perhaps. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Uh, Michael Thurman over in DeKalb County has come up with this idea that uh, maybe we do need to put the lantern on top uh, to memorialize Martin Luther King Jr., but uh, we don't need to erase the side of Stone Mountain. And this is becoming an issue. This is becoming a big issue um, of people wanting to really to stir up this. And and by the way, this doesn't poll popularly with Democrats. It doesn't poll popularly with Republicans. A lot of people think it just opens old wounds that we're supposed to learn from our history and be better than our history and move on. And that trying to, to tear down Stone Mountain would not accomplish that. Um, so at least we know that, that that's a thing. At least we at least she's honest that that's where she wants to go with this, and we'll see whether or not that helps or hurts her at the polls. So there's a story I mentioned in the last hour. The Washington Post today has a story from one of their liberal pundits that Donald Trump is intentionally going to make race a story for November. He's going to make race an issue. And I, I got to tell you, I don't actually think that it's Donald Trump making race an issue. I, I think it's a I think it's the Democrats and the media making race an issue. I mean, they're, the media pounced. See what I did there? The media pounced on Ron DeSantis saying, don't monkey it up. And, and they even went through, oh, there aren't a lot of Google searches for, for monkey it up. That, that's, that's an obscure phrase. Clearly, he must have done it on purpose, like, I guess, Barack Obama when he did it. Um, the media is invested in making this all about race. Now, listen, let's let's not deny it. Let us not deny it. There are people out there on the right, the alt-right, the white nationalists who they want to make it about race as well. But I got to tell you my sense is that it's it's a minority, a, a distinct minority, a small minority that is very vocal 
And because it plays into the media's perceptions of the president, they give them orders of magnitude more attention than they deserve. I definitely think that the media wants to make this about race. And they're going to try here in Georgia as well. You know, the 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 city too busy to, to, to hate or whatever, the old Atlanta motto, they want to stir up racial tension around here. It's only a matter of time before some politician out there tries to claim racism over this FBI investigation into City Hall. You know it's going to happen. Uh, it, it, time and time again now, uh, racism is is just the trouble. I, I saw Glenn Beck the other day. He, he tweeted out a cartoon, and it was basically it, it was a, a number laying on its side. And from the Democratic perspective, it looked like a nine. And from the Republicans' perspective, they were on the other side. It looked like a six. And they said uh, back then, and the Democrat says nine. The Republican says, no, it's not. It's a six. And then it says, and now it says the Republican says it's a six and the Democrats is racist. I mean, that's that's exactly what's going on now in this country. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. If everything is racist, then nothing can be racist. Racism should mean something. Ron DeSantis, who has no history of racism, going on television saying monkey it up is not a racist for saying so any more than his black opponent going on TV calling for a new confederacy is not a racist. Or I'm sorry, actually technically said confederation of states. I can't believe he said that. And yet he'll get away with it. Ron DeSantis won't. I, I, I do not think having the carving on the side of Stone Mountain and wanting it left there makes you a racist. I do not think that wanting to keep the Confederate monuments makes you a racist. And yet the media can't understand it. They don't understand the cultural. They don't understand the history. They don't understand any of that. It, 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 it's all got to be about race. And you know what? Maybe it was. Maybe it was the intention of the original person who decided to put up the carving on Stone Mountain. Maybe it really was their intention for it to be a racial statement. But is it now? Can things not change? Can we not learn from history? Can we not admire the work of art? Can we not look on the statues in small towns across the south of the Confederate soldier facing north and say, that was a bygone era. Thank God we've moved on, and thank God we're better than that. Are we not allowed to look at our history? I mean, this ties perfectly and honestly with the story I mentioned to you yesterday about Brown University yanking a scientific peer-reviewed study that showed that many teenagers are turning to transgenderism, not because they are transgender, but because it's a coping mechanism. Uh, they're getting bullied. Boys are being called sissies. Girls are being called butch. They decide they must actually be transgender, so they decide they want to go through the process, but it all has more to do with with culture and peer pressure and trying to conform and, and finding something to take comfort in beyond drugs and alcohol. Now they also take comfort in this idea that, that they must uh, they can swap gender and it's a scientific study. It was reviewed by peers. No one questions the scientific basis, but it upset people, so it had to be yanked because it was anti-transgender. Everything's got to be looked at in this way. You know, we, we ought to spend some time on what exactly social justice is because it's all tied up into that. You know, I, I am one of the people who believes we should not run from our history. We should recognize there were bad moments in our history, and we have transcended them and should still transcend them more to be better but when you scrub it all away and say you can't look at it, what you're then telling some people out there is that there is a hidden knowledge and they want access to it and they're going to start spinning the history in their direction and we shouldn't. We should not make light of what happened. 
We should own what happened. We shouldn't run from what happened, but there's no reason to tear it all down either. It's 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. To the phones we go. John and Canton, you're up first. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'll be very brief. I wanted to thank you for recognizing that not everyone involved with some of these monuments who or who might appreciate them are necessarily racist. It's amazing that, that the media would tell you otherwise. Well, I'm friends with Jimmy Carter's youngest son, or at least we went to school together. And I'm going to tell you something. That man was there for the dedication. And hopefully no one in this country could believe that Jimmy Carter was a racist. That is a ra- You know, I'd forgotten he was there for that. Yep. That's a good point, John. That is. Thank you very much for that. Yes, do you think that Jimmy Carter is a racist? Because he was there for, what the was it the dedication or some big event honoring Stone Mountain? Chris in Atlanta, you're next. Yes, hi, Eric. Uh, fellow RTS alumni here. Excellent. Um, I, uh, I was over at the Hirschen Family Entertainment recently. Uh, and they're the ones that run all the entertainment and everything at the park, uh, same folks that do Dollywood. Mm-hmm. And I was asking them about the, the monuments and sort of the controversy going on. Uh, and they had stated that in the original deed that the family left the property to the state, that they included a stipulation that the Confederate flag can't come down or the monument change or the deed would transfer back to the family. And that the state would actually lose control of the park if they were to make those changes. Yeah, now, I, I will say on that that there have been a number of court cases over the years that have largely invalidated uh, those sorts of deeds. It, it's funny how the, the state does things like that. Uh, there was actually a, a park down in Macon uh, that had to be a, a whites-only park. And when the, uh, the, the the deed was that if it was integrated that the property would revert back to the family— and the state courts ruled that no, in fact, that's that's unconstitutional to require that. So I'm sure they would do something similar with this, so it would stay in state hands if you got rid of that. But yeah, there'd be a lawsuit for sure. Thirty-eight after the hour. The phone number four zero four eight seven two zero seven five zero one eight hundred WSB Talk. Let's go back to the phones. Bob in Norcross, you're next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Uh, you made a point uh, earlier that uh, we shouldn't forget what the Confederacy represents, and that keeping those statues and monuments up allows us to not forget. And while I agree with that point. I also think that we erect statues and monuments specifically to celebrate things. And I think we can agree that this is not something to celebrate. So I would vote to remove those statues and monuments for that reason. Yeah, I I, I take your point and, and thank you for, for making it as, as clearly and concisely as you have. I, I absolutely take your point. Um, I also do, do though wonder if, if we were to tear down the Confederate monuments, uh, are we then suggesting to malcontented souls that we got something to hide and they're going to revise their history. I've just, and and, you know, bear with me, Bob, because I I can't, I don't know that I can articulate this point as well as you just articulated yours, but I'm more and more troubled by an idea that particularly is coming out of progressivism these days 
um, that there are some things we can't talk about. And I really think that that is emboldening the white nationalists and the alt-right crowd and whatnot on issues of race and other things um, because there's always a perceptible bit of society that believes the truth is being kept from them. And so yep. they see the monuments being torn down and they're like, ah, it's all these progressives tearing down monuments. They really must have been a good thing. And we're going to get even more historic revisionism. Um, I, you know, I try to point out to my kids, we've got a statue down by where I live. And I, and I try to point out to my kids uh, that it was that that statue in particular wasn't one of the ones that came about in the early days of Jim Crow. It came about right after uh, the the Civil War. And it was designed by the people of the time to honor all the soldiers in the town who had who had died, uh, but mm-hmm. they also use it as a point to say there are a lot of other statues like it that came about in the early 1900s as a way to celebrate something that wasn't worth celebrating. I, I, I admit that most people aren't having these conversations with their kids. If I wasn't in talk radio, I probably wouldn't. But I, I do worry really a lot about this this idea that by taking stuff off the table now, we're, we're going to generate an even more emboldened group of nuts. And I'm very sensitive to that. If I could just add one more point, the, I, I, I agree with you 99.9% with the exception that I would use as the example, if you could apply the same logic to Nazism. Yeah, that that's a very fair point. That is a very fair point. Um, I, I do think my if my wife were here, she would say, though, that there are a lot of people in the South who and she would be one of them, frankly, uh, who looks at this as a as a heritage issue. You know, the old trite saying heritage, not hate, what have you, uh, when it came to the Confederate flag debate, that it, that it is a, a history in the South um, that uh, certainly I, I think most uh, black people would equate it more to Nazism than white people. Um, and that there is this divide, like there's common consensus everywhere that Nazism was bad, and there's common consensus everywhere the Confederacy was bad, except in a, a certain group of people who march in the streets these days. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be the common consensus that that honoring our forebearers is akin to celebrating the Confederacy. And I guess there's that disconnect that, that rubs people raw, which I think is why we see this polling so much that shows um, that like 90% of the country, Democrat and Republican agree that the Confederacy shouldn't be celebrated, but 60% of Democrats and 80% of Republicans say we shouldn't tear down the statues. And I guess it, it really, it, there is just a, a somewhat of a disconnect there. It's such a more complicated issue than a lot of people want it to be. But listen, Bob, I got to thank you for calling in and, and having this conversation with me because you, you've made your point so great and concisely while I've tripped all over myself responding. Not at all. Thank you for talking with us. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. Thanks very much. I, I, I hope you guys understand what I'm getting at. This really isn't – it is, for some people, a very cut-and-dry issue. Uh, Confederacy, bad, therefore tear down all the statues. But there are a lot of people who say Confederacy, bad, uh, but this was my great-great-grandfather, and I still want to honor him even though he was on the wrong side. And in that regard, it is different uh, from, I think, the German consensus on on Nazism – uh, that, yes, Confederacy bad, Nazis bad, but Nazis universally reviled and everyone who participated bad. And and in this country, we never crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, on that, where everyone who participated was somehow bad. It, it was so much a part of heritage and family and generation and generational legacy building that it, it never quite evolved the same way with a lot of people, I, it, mostly white, obviously, 
Um, but it just it, it's this is one reason why I think leave the monuments. But I think we also need to build the monuments to the heroes who transcended the Confederacy, the Martin Luther Kings and and the others, the the John Lewises, who I think, even though I disagree with him on politics, need to be revered because of what they went through and did. Uh, it's just a complicated subject for a lot of people. And we have a ton of people who want to talk about this topic. Uh, understandably so. Uh, and this, again, this is the, the one area where I think Stacey Abrams is right, is that we have to have this conversation. Um, I think as a society, you you shouldn't resist conversations. And again, it goes back to the idea on both sides. If you refuse to have a conversation on these topics, you're essentially excluding a realm of conversation. And in excluding a realm of conversation, there are always going to be malcontented souls on the left and the right who believe you're keeping some sort of hidden knowledge from them. You know, the, the idea of Gnosticism, uh, you get the idea of Gnosticism. A lot of the early churches, one of the things um, the, the, uh, St. John uh, is writing about in his books, the Bible, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and even the book of John, responding to the, the Gnostics who believed that there was actually some hidden knowledge and that if you became, if you came into their cult, that they would give you the hidden knowledge by which you could find salvation. And his point was that, no, um, Christ wasn't hidden. Christ was open to all, and all you have to do is believe in Christ, and that's your pathway to salvation. The Gnostics said, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. And they were able to draw people to them, and historically all Gnostic cults have done it this way. They've suggested that society is keeping something hidden from you. And if you will join this group, you will have access to the knowledge that society doesn't have. I mean, frankly, it's pyramid schemes are the same way. When it comes to join my pyramid scheme, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to be selling people something. And then those people are going to be selling people something. And you're going to be making money the whole way through. And you'll have knowledge and access to a product or service that no one else does. And that's how you're going to get rich. It's the same way with Gnosticism. And I really think this drive to, to tear down the monuments and this drive to to not have these conversations concurrently on both sides emboldens a group of people to say, hey, I've got the hidden knowledge. The media is not telling you about it. I've got the hidden knowledge. The Republicans aren't telling you about it. I've got the hidden knowledge. The Democrats aren't telling you about And inevitably, it's some fringe malcontented group, whether it's white nationalists or, or what have you, uh, Antifa on the other side and, and the like, that they want the malcontented souls to come in and believe that they have access to a truth that is not publicly available. And we embolden them by taking out of society the monuments and the conversations and and the truth and the facts, and then they twist it. And that's bad for all of us. Oh, my goodness. It's 55 after the hour. Look, we've got more people who want to talk about this issue, and I am happy to keep the conversation going. But uh, I'm seeing that I saw that WSB and, and the AJC trending talking about Dragon Con on Twitter. So I figured I'd click over and realize that. So we got Dragon Con in the city this weekend. We have the Chick-fil-A kickoff game for college football this week. Hallelujah, praise Jesus, college football has returned. And we also have Black Gay Pride this weekend, which, you know, this the somewhat relevant to this conversation that we can't just have a Gay Pride weekend. We have to have also Black Gay Pride weekend in Atlanta. I, I saw a clip earlier today of a guy on ESPN who was mad at his co-host because— uh, they were they were talking to him like like he's got to understand some bit of white culture because he's a white guy and he's like I, I'm me I'm 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 not white culture I'm just me 
Um, I think for myself, I don't think because of a, a culture. And they're like, yes, you do because you're born in that culture. It's like, I, no, I, I, I didn't grow up in this country. I feel the same way when people tell me that that somehow I, I, I don't understand uh, X, Y, or Z, or, or I'm the epitome of white culture or white privilege or what have you. And I'm like, I, I didn't grow up in this country. I didn't grow up around American white people in America. Um, I grew up in the Middle East uh, and all that that entails. And it just it's it's people defining you by groups, which reminds me, I let's we should discuss this social justice nonsense and, and what exactly it is, because there seems to be this growing debate. But when we come back, I, I want to finish off. Uh, we've got a few more people who want to talk about this issue. I, I don't want to do them a disservice by giving them a very abrupt phone call. So we'll do that. I won't take any more phone calls on the subject. Uh, and I will move on to what is this social justice stuff people keep talking about these days? What are they actually talking about? Because, you know, definitions and stuff. It's 8 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, there's a little rain down in the Irondale area and a storm south of Porterdale and light rain to the west of Canton that's moving off to the west. Otherwise, we're fairly good this evening. Um, I'm going to take two more phone calls on this issue of Stone Mountain and Confederate monuments, and then I got to move on to other stuff. Um, but I want to do these folks justice. They've been waiting for a while. Uh, so, Joe from Austell, uh, you're next. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. I want to get you off the speaker. I just wanted to say I think they should stay up. They should not be torn down. I am African-American. Solely for, if no other reason, a reminder of how far we've come. Like you said it before, people aren't talking about it. If they're not there, it's not going to be talked about at all. And history have a tendency of repeating itself. So I think it needs to be there um, as a reminder, if nothing else. I think that's a good point. Come. And, I, you know, I'm kind of there with you on that. Thanks very much for the phone call. I, I, I am that uh, we don't need to forget. We don't need to, to gloss it up. We don't need to sanitize it. We don't need to forget. And I realize that. The monuments, when they were built in some cases, did glorify or sanitize things that shouldn't be, but I don't think they do that now. Their meaning can change over time, and I think it has. Uh, thank you, Joe, for that. Hey, Brad and Loganville, you're next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Um, I just wanted to say that, like, people don't think about this, but if you get rid of every historical marker that has anything to do with slavery, you'd have to get rid of the pyramids, Taj Mahal, every castle in Europe, all this. But here's the thing. In America, we have a very short history compared to those areas. And if they can do this, then they can tell kids like they were trying to in Berkeley middle schools that America invented slavery and whatever they want to push. Oh, I, I definitely think there there is a revisionist aspect to some of the folks who want to do that. And it's all wrapped up into the social justice warrior stuff as well on top of it. Brad, thanks very much for the phone call. You know, that that reminds me, um, there's a story in the Chicago Tribune. Y'all, let me just, let me read you the story before I move on into the social justice warrior stuff. Because uh, this is relevant to it. So this is a guy, Jack Van Nord. He's writing to the Chicago Tribune today. 
that he and his wife allowed their nephew Kyle to come live with them this summer. Uh, Jack Van Nord was a, um, a classroom teacher for 30 years. He's the author of a book called Hope They Like Rice, and he writes that uh, his nephew Kyle came to live with him this past summer. He has been infected by the social justice warriors on his college campus who believe in cultural appropriation. Um, He was very snide about straw hats hanging in their hallway that they had collected when they lived in Southeast Asia. Uh, When uh, Jack Van Nord, the author, uh, shouted adios to his neighbor, his nephew Kyle mumbled, appropriate much. And so that next week, Kyle said that he and his girlfriend were going kayaking. And when his uncle pointed out that kayaking was a watercraft appropriated from the Inuit people from the Arctic region, Kyle said, well, they were going to go canoeing instead. And his uncle said, you know, the canoe was developed by indigenous people in North America. And so Kyle went and sat on a park bench for the afternoon with his girlfriend. Um, He was asked, Kyle was, the nephew, to move dirt from the neighbor's backyard. And he used a wheelbarrow to do it. And when his uncle pointed out that the wheelbarrow was a one-wheeled cart invented in China, his nephew Kyle literally started filling up five buck, five-gallon buckets with dirt, moving the dirt. When the girlfriend suggested that because Kyle was so sore from filling up the buckets with dirt because he wouldn't use the wheelbarrow because he didn't want to culturally appropriate Chinese history, suggested that they do yoga, she was going to until his uncle pointed out it was appropriated from Hinduism. So they didn't. Time and time again, and finally, ultimately, the coup de grace, the uncle pointed out that the futon that his nephew Kyle was sleeping on was culturally appropriated from the Japanese. And so he moved the covering to the floor. This is not a made-up story. And there are people like that. And we call them social justice warriors. And you probably need to understand what exactly it is you're dealing with when you encounter these people. But first, so what is social justice? Now, I, I got I to gotta start here with a little bit of history, uh, and it is church history. Just bear with me for a moment because, um, man, we are getting this social justice warrior nonsense all over the metro area. Uh, the cultural appropriation nonsense, the the tearing down the statues nonsense, the Black Lives Matters and Antifa and everything else. So what on earth is this? And by the way, it, it is the reason I, I really am bringing this up now. What made me got to think about it is is there's a real debate now in a lot of churches, uh, particularly Southern Baptist and PCA churches, on how far down the social justice road to go. John MacArthur, the the theologian and pastor out in California, has come out with an article against. Uh, embracing social justice, uh, and everybody's having a hard time defining it. Let me explain to you, when people in this day and age, when the media, when they talk about social justice, by and large, what do they mean? What they mean is not taking care of the widows and orphans, as the Bible would consider social justice, as as liberal theologians in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century thought of social justice. It was to essentially bring heaven on earth by taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor and raising them up uh, and whatnot. Well, even the liberal theologians have evolved over time into this current idea of social justice. And it comes from Marxism, which is devoid of faith. You need to understand that. Uh, particularly if you're a Christian and your church is thinking about social justice stuff, 
Um, Current ideas on social justice derive from the Marxist idea that there is an imbalance of power in the world that stems from colonizers versus the colonized. Marxism was going to stamp out the capitalists and the colonizers who abused and oppressed the other, and the other would rise up and exert dominance. And essentially what social justice is, is a belief that there is an imbalance of power between classes of people and that balance must be made right by taking power from those who have it and giving it to those who do not. Much like the financial system is taking money from those who have it and giving it to those who don't. The problem with this is it does not recognize that there actually is a component of people are bad. I mean, people collectively are bad. Individually, we are all sinners. Collectively, we are a collection of sinners. That is called bad. Humanity as a whole is bad. Now, I realize that we are all trained and raised to believe that humanity is a wonderful thing, but the history of the world shows that every gathering of humanity without any sort of anchor of morals turns bad. Uh, You strip away morals and religion and communism and Nazism, and what do you get? You get uh, mass executions of people throughout the world. Uh, Social justice comes from that, and I know there are your people screaming at the radio right now, but let's not deny it. It is true. It comes from this Marxist concept about an imbalance of power between classes, between races, between genders, between rich and poor, um, between groups of people, and it must be resolved by taking power from one group and giving it to another group. It manifests itself in certain ways in polite society by we have to have understandings of the oppression and, and, and ideas of what people have lived through, but we also must identify ourselves through a class. It strips away from us our individuality. That's one of the other damning things about social justice is it, res- it reverts us to a class. We're supposed to be blind when it comes to race and, and whatnot. We're supposed to treat each other equally, but what social justice does is it says we've got to be a class of people. It's the white people, it's the men, it's the women, it's the black people, it's the Hispanics, it's the Asians, it's the people who don't identify as male or female. Each of these is a group. And that's where then you get this term intersectionality that comes into play with social justice now, is you take each group based on its defined characteristics and you have the white male is the most oppressive class. And apparently the the transgendered Muslim female is the, the one who should be in charge because they're the most oppressed. And you have to rebalance the oppression based on the class of people and all the unique characteristics as opposed to just saying people are sinners and we should all work to treat each other equally by viewing each other as individuals what social justice does is it lumps us into stereotyped boxes and then wants to use the government and the power of government to switch around the balances of power and essentially what you find is that everybody still behaves the same way And it's just the government punishes some just by being white, male, female, what have you. And it's bad. And the whole idea of cultural appropriation is devolved on this idea that a a group of people with power have taken someone else's culture by force. It's always presumed to be by force, not we're taking something that someone else did that was good and incorporated it into our own society because it was good. No, it's somehow we're abusing our position by taking their stuff and making money. The entire apparatus of social justice today, intersectionalism, cultural appropriation, it is all very dependent on Marxism, and you need to understand that. And when your church or your local group decides they want to get involved in social justice, 
your goal should be to recognize that individuals are individuals and all individuals should be treated well in the golden rule. It should not be to take power from one and give to the other because all you're doing is you're rearranging a bunch of sinners on the deck of humanity as it sinks into the moral abyss on the way to Armageddon. Good grief. Ensign Samuel Bongiorno. Navy Ensign Samuel Bongiorno. He opened his mailbox Monday night when he got off duty and had a letter from John McCain in his mailbox. The news came over the weekend. John McCain had died. His very last official act was responding to the letter, a letter the Navy Ensign had written him. Uh, He had the letter, dictated the letter. It was written. He signed it by his own hand. They sent it out before the senator died. Fascinating. Uh, He'll be on CNN later tonight talking about that. Uh, You know, yeah, I got time to make this point. A lot of people have talked about John McCain passing and as if it's it's the, the end of an era. And I don't know that that's true. And I was reminded yesterday, I, and I'm sure many of you have heard of this guy. Um, I have no doubt that many of you have heard of this guy, Terry Fox. Terry Fox is famous in Canada. Uh, every September, they have Terry Fox runs. Terry Fox was a high school student who was discovered to have cancer, lost his leg, and decided to run across Canada. Uh, as an amputee and wanted to raise money for cancer and more than a million dollars raised. And and now it's become a thing every year, millions and millions and millions of dollars raised. He got halfway across Canada. They discovered his cancer had returned and he wound up having to be flown home where he died uh, and became a hero. And and I think in the passing of John McCain, we, we do live in unserious times. I think everybody, regardless of politics, tends to recognize we live in unserious times. And I think we just we haven't had the occasion for heroes to rise. But I'm always profoundly amazed by the heroes who arise when the challenge and the times desire it, need it, have to have it. And I think that'll happen again. Um, we will see people arise as the occasion requires. It is 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. I'm, I I got to talk about a, a story here that is local. And I'm, y'all, let me just give you the facts. On Monday, DeKalb County Police were called to a gas station on Covington Highway. Um, 46-year-old Van Johnson allegedly opened fire on his own vehicle as the driver was trying to make an escape. What happened was a guy stole Van Johnson's truck while Van Johnson was helping someone else with their vehicle. He was looking under the hood of someone else's vehicle, and a guy stole Van Johnson's truck while he was distracted. And in seeing his truck being stolen, he pulled out his gun, fired shots, was able to run to and climb into the back of his truck, and the thief 
wrecked the truck, ran it into a tree, and was killed instantly. Um, let me make sure I've got the... Um, Yes, uh, I'm reading now from 11 Alive. Johnson realized what was happening, pulled out a gun. Security footage showed smoke from the gun as Johnson would fire on his own truck. Uh, the the thief uh, stopped for a few seconds before continuing, and Johnson climbed into the back of the truck. Police say the teen ran off the road, hit a tree, and died. Um, Johnson may have been injured, but police don't know for sure. Johnson is being charged with murder. Turns out that the thief, whose name was Kerry Walker III, was 16. Um, my wife and I have been to uh, Armed Citizens of Georgia. It is a, a fantastic training, and we've been to it. And one of the things we learned is that uh, you don't pull your gun unless you intend to fire. You don't fire unless your life is being threatened. And you don't fire into the air, you shoot to kill. Um, Mr. Johnson's truck was not his life. Mr. Johnson fired his gun, and it does not appear from press reports, hit anybody. And the kid wrecked the truck, hit a tree, and died. I have a real hard time thinking that Mr. Johnson, who is now a fugitive, he hasn't turned himself in yet, I have a real hard time believing he needs to be charged with murder because someone stole his truck and wrecked it as Mr. Johnson climbed in the back of his truck trying to save his truck. Should he have done what he did? I don't know that he should have. But at the heat of the moment at the time, his truck was being stolen and he tried to save his truck. And I don't see that he's the bad guy here. And I have a great deal of sympathy for the fact that it could have very well been the very first time a 16-year-old tried to steal a truck. But a person, regardless of his age, attempted to steal someone else's vehicle and was met with consequences that included his life being taken when he wrecked the truck with the truck owner in the back of the truck trying to get back his truck. These aren't easy situations, and I know a lot of times people want to make them very cut and dry, but I, I got a real hard time. It makes me mad, actually, thinking about the facts of this, that the somehow the man whose truck was stolen is the bad guy. And I know that the family that is very upset, uh, they don't view their son as the bad guy. He was the thief. He is the one who stole the truck. And he was met with consequences for doing something stupid, something that became tragic. But it's not Mr. Johnson's fault, is it? Mr. Johnson didn't steal a truck. He was just trying to save his truck. Unfortunate, but let's not make Mr. Johnson the bad guy here.
I, I got to pivot now because I, I got I, I to gotta play some audio from CNN last night. You know that they keep talking about the president and fake news and how the president just makes stuff up and it's not true. And, and he says the government works in certain ways. And it's not, I, I want you to listen to this. This is Simone Sanders, a Democratic consultant who's on CNN last night. Listen to this. This has been very underreported, but folks do not understand that a hostile takeover of the courts by folks who are not even approved yeah. by the American Bar Association is happening. There are judges on the list right now that are not approved by the American Bar Association. And the, Donald Trump's lasting legacy, among other things, will be that he was able to reshape the courts for a generation. And that is something that Grassley and McConnell are, are very tied to, and I think they, they don't, they don't want to see their, their, their ally in this effort. A hostile take. Y'all, I'm sorry, but there was like, um, oh, what's her name? Michelle Goldberg was on MSNBC last week, and she said that Donald Trump really would like to kill people. He really would like to round up people and and kill them. And I really, it's not my style to be super combative when I'm on TV with other people, but I really, I wish I was on TV with people at points like this, so I can just look at them and say, are you stupid or just being a willful idiot? Do you really, I mean, if you really believe that Donald Trump wants to round up people and kill them, you live in a bubble and your bubble is filled with mentally messed up people. And this girl, a, a, a hostile takeover of the judiciary with people not even approved by the ABA. Where in the Constitution does it say the American Bar Association plays any role in approving judges? Now, it has been pro forma in the past that judges have been reviewed by the ABA and they've said, yeah, this guy's qualified or not. But the ABA is a partisan political left-wing organization that has oftentimes said conservatives aren't qualified because they're conservatives. So they cut them out of the process. Because of their blatant partisanship, they are not required to confirm judges. And the fact that you've got somebody on TV saying this is a hostile takeover of the judiciary, the press loses its business when Donald Trump says the press is the enemy of the people. Should they not lose their business when someone goes on TV and says a hostile takeover is happening when it's actually a constitutional process and all it's being done is is to whip people into a frenzy that the president is somehow behaving unconstitutionally and Republicans are letting him get away with it when all they're doing is following the Constitution? These people are either willfully malicious or they're really stupid or maybe we should embrace the healing power of and. It's 54 after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here. I don't have time to take your phone call, so you're just going to have to deal with it now. I want to go to a story I haven't had time to touch tonight. The federal employees will not be getting a pay raise um, because the president says the federal government doesn't have the money. And since they don't have the money, they're not going to get pay raises next year. And it is amazing to see people upset about this. Uh, Now, listen, I get if you're a federal employee and you were expecting a pay raise next year, I totally am sympathetic to that. But at the same time, um, that the the automatic we expect it and then you have – Members of Congress coming out saying, oh, no, 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 we we have to keep paying the federal workers. I do have to say there is a political implication for Republicans in November, particularly in like Barbara Comstock's district, Barbara Comstock, uh, representing Northern Virginia, where a huge number of federal employees live. And she very well could be toast by this decision as the federal employees up there. I personally, I got to tell you, I have long, even going back to when I was in high school, I have long favored a 
amendment to an amendment to the Constitution that prohibited anyone who is regularly employed by the federal government from voting. If you're a federal, and I realize that would apply to, to soldiers and sailors and Marines as well, and maybe we need to exempt them since they're willing to put their lives on the line for the country. But if you're just a regular federal employee, including, by the way, members of Congress and the president himself, I think you should be prohibited from voting if you're collecting a federal paycheck because you're essentially voting for your own job. This is also why I, I am very opposed to public unions. Uh, I don't think you should be able to collectively bargain against the taxpayers. Uh, nonetheless, uh, they do vote. The reality is they vote. And the reality is they're going to be really upset with the Republicans. And this really could hurt Republicans in certain races, uh, particularly in in urban areas where there are high numbers of federal employees and Republicans in Congress are really freaking out about it and blaming the president today uh, for doing this and saying they want to walk it back. Well, you know what? I really doubt that you'd be able to get two thirds of both houses of Congress to override a presidential veto of this legislation. Um, Now, maybe it's going to be one of those things where the president walks it back right before the election, tries to keep people happy, but these are federal employees. And the honest answer is these people are Democrats anyway, by and large. They're going to vote against the Republicans anyway. So Barbara Comstock may lose, but she was probably going to lose anyway. Um, All of this, though, bringing this full circle to the beginning of the show. I mentioned the Ben Smith piece at BuzzFeed. He used to write for Politico and lamenting the fact that he helped create modern political journalism where they pay attention to the horse race and the money and and the polling and the staffers sleeping with staffers and the staffers moving to other offices and on and on and on and how that kind of cheapened the process on and on and on. Um, You know, covering this immediately as, oh my gosh, this is going to hurt the Republicans in November. That kind of goes to that. Many of the same reporters who were saying, yeah, what Ben Smith said immediately covered this as, oh, this is going to hurt the Republicans in November. It is a cold political calculation. Never mind the public policy of saving money that we don't even have by not giving pay raises to employees next year. It happens in private companies. Why can't it happen in the federal government?